Um, folks, just, just so you know, as you know me already, I've been here a number of years, you know I like to deal in series. Uh, this is about a 10-week series, and so we're about in three, week, three out of 10 weeks. So um, we're in the middle of this series, Lessons from the Red Sea, uh, Storms and Trials. I was talking to Keith and Charlotte before the ser- uh, service, and they were down there, South Carolina? Yeah, you were in South Carolina, hunkered down in a hotel during Hurricane Matthew, and they have an interesting story to tell, and uh, we thank the Lord that God has taken them and brought them back. And um, We know that storms, we know that trials, we know that hardships, seemingly never-ending difficulties, test of life, use whatever term, use whatever concept that you want, we know one thing for sure, they will come to all of us. And as we've seen from the book of Exodus, nobody was in a greater storm. Nobody was in a uh, more difficult predicament than Moses and the Israelites. You know the story. There they are. God told them they wanted to go the easy way. God did not allow them to go the easy way. He said, go around, go by the way of the wilderness and the Red Sea. And there they are. In front of them is the sea, the Red Sea. That is actually a picture of the Red Sea that you're looking at, just not some pretty background, but it is the picture of the Red Sea. To the right and the left was a desert or mountains. They had nowhere to go, and behind them was not a good option either. So they had no way out, and it's out of this story so far that we've learned two lessons. And the first lesson is that you're exactly where God wants you to be. (laughs) Uh, I'm not going to go into this. I spent a lot of time last week. Uh, we all create our self-inflicted storms. That's not what the series is about. Um, our self-inflicted storms, if you weren't here, get a copy of the message and it will help you with that. But if you are in one of those, know that there is hope. God has not left you. He's not abandoned you. He's just waiting for you to come back to Him. So He can put you back to where you need to be so that you can be exactly where God wants you to be. But if you find yourself in a storm that you did not do anything, you did not ask for it, you did not want it, you did not request it, but you find yourself in the middle of a difficulty and the Holy Spirit has not tapped you and said, this is your doing, then know that God has allowed you to be exactly where he wants you to be. Last week, uh, we talked about so many times when we're in difficulties, uh, we ask the wrong questions. God, why? Why? Why me? Uh, Why am I here? How did this happen? God, what did I do? Most of the time we say, God, what did they do? We know what they did. God, take care of that individual, that situation. We're asking the wrong question. And sometimes the question needs to be, how can God be glorified through my storm? That's hard. That's tough. But that is a great second step. So we're on to lesson number three today. Um, is don't mean to reveal ages here, but I know some of you may have been kids, um, but how many of you were here, um, or you, not here, you remember Pearl Harbor? We have a veteran over here, World War II. Lori's dad is here with us. God bless you, brother. And many of you remember that Pearl Harbor. You remember that horrific day. How many of you remember JFK's assassination? Let me see your hands. Yeah. Do you remember where you were? 
Yeah, you kind of have to think about it, huh? But you remember exactly where you were. Um, how about, this is more my generation, how about when President Reagan was shot? I remember that as well. And then, of course, we all remember uh, 9-11. Um, Stephanie and I were, um, Jenna was about, was about three months old, three or four months old. We were in our house, 300 Dover Road, just down the street from Andrews. And uh, I think I was, that was a Tuesday. I think it was a Tuesday. And I was off. I was working at Andrews, and uh, <clears throat> I was off, and Stephanie and I were taking care of Jenna, and that's where we were when we saw the horrific events of 9-11 and the two planes that struck the World Trade Centers. Why did these horrible events happen? Sometimes it can be very hard to put a reasonable explanation behind some of life's most tragic moments. Sometimes, folks, we have to admit that there are evil men with evil intentions behind some of these things. When we're blindsided with storms of life, not of our own doing, realize that there too is an enemy that wants to destroy you through your storm. You know, you may be grappling with the storm that you're in or you may get ready to grapple with the storm that you're in and you're trying to figure out how did I get there and it's, it's just you're in a whirlwind, you're, you're in a hurricane, you're in a tornado, you're, you're, you're in a mess. And sometimes we forget to realize lesson number three, know who the enemy is. We forget about the enemy. All we can think about is ourself and, our, and how difficult our circumstances are in, but know who the enemy is. Um, this happened a long time ago. Mom and Dad are here with us, and uh, Matthew, my nephew, is here with us. And um, I don't know how old I was, but I remember, I think I was six, seven, eight years old in that, in that time range and age. And a friend and I, I don't even know who it was, but we were living on uh, over in Broadacre and over there by Bloomingdale. Some of you know that area by Wintersville and all that. And, and my friend and I, we were out and about, I don't know, we were playing in the woods or whatnot. And we found ourselves, we come out of the woods and we, saw, we found ourselves in um, this neighbor's backyard. We really didn't know them very well, but... Um, we were thinking, okay, how do we get here? How are we going to get out? Well, the neighbors were on their back porch, and they saw us come through their backyard, and they were just messing with us, but they were trying to scare us a little bit. So they started yelling at us. They said, hey, what are you doing in our yard? Get out of our yard. You're not supposed to be here. Well, we were just little kids. We didn't know any better, and we're like, oh, no, what do we just do? And so we took off, and... Um, my friend took off through the woods, you know, in the area that we had just come out of, and I heard him start to scream. I thought, what on earth? But I was scared too, so I took off right after him, and little did I realize that we had run right through a hornet's nest. And when we came, remember that, Mom, Dad? Remember that? When we came through that... Um, he was over there screaming. He had hornets all over him. I had hornets all over me. Um, Mom and Dad said they could hear us screaming from up over the hill. Um, fortunately, you know, uh, I don't, we had several stings, but we didn't have to go to the hospital. It wasn't anything like that. But I'll never forget that. It just gave me just uh, chills, just, just telling that story right now. 
You see, we had disturbed their nest. And they were coming after us. They were not happy. They were mad after me and my friend, and they came after us. Folks, let me just tell you a little secret here if you don't realize it already. When someone leaves Satan's domain to become a child of God, when one determines to stay in this lifelong fight for faith, when those of you decide to take seriously the issue on spiritual warfare and prayer that we've come through the last several months, when you sign up to be a prayer partner that involves all of this over here, realize that you are stirring up Satan's nest. And he's going to come after you. That's why you need to know who the enemy is, even in your storm. He is obsessed with keeping sinners in his nest and chasing after those who have left. Say that again. He is obsessed with keeping sinners in his nest and chasing after those who have left. Charles Spurgeon said, The great tyrant has not forgotten you, and he designs your capture and re-enslavement. Great evangelist preacher of the 18th century, Charles Spurgeon. Satan, as we know, has been described as the deceiver, the father of lives, our adversary, the tempter, one who disguises himself, one who can even afflict believers. If you want to turn to our focus passage, it is once again Exodus chapter 14. If you want to follow along, Exodus chapter 14. There are comparisons. There, there's a comparison here with our story that this series is patterned after in the evil one. Exodus chapter 14. Starting with verse 5. Exodus 14. It will be on the screen. Exodus 14.5. When word reached the king, this is after the uh, Israelites have left, okay? When word reached the king of Egypt that the Israelites have fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds. What have we done letting all those Israelite slaves get away, they asked. So Pharaoh harnessed his chariot and called up his troops. He took with him 600 of Egypt's best chariots, along with the rest of the chariots of Egypt, each with its commander. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, so he chased after the people of Israel, who had left with fists raised in defiance. The Egyptians chased after them with all the forces in Pharaoh's army, all his horses and chariots, his charioteers and his troops. The Egyptians caught up with the people of Israel as they were camped beside the shore near Pi Hahiroth, across from Baal Zephon. I wanted to focus, go back to verse 5, the last part of, of verse 5. It says, when word reached the king of Egypt that the Israelites have fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds. What have we done letting all those Israelite slaves get away? You see, it was not long once the Israelites left that Pharaoh noticed just how quiet Egypt was. (laughs) 
Folks, realize, you know, again, we believe there's uh, about one and a half to two and a half, three million Jews left Egypt at this time. And Pharaoh and the Egyptians realized how quiet their town was. The ghettos that were once full with slaves now look like ghost towns. All the construction work had halted. The sounds of hammers and chisels and saws were no longer to be heard. There were no Israelites to get Pharaoh's bath water and breakfast. And as he sat there dazed in the silence of his surroundings, it was as if something inside of him just snapped and he became a raving maniac. Church, the minute that we left Satan's kingdom, he noticed that his domain was a little more quiet. The demonic ghetto that we used to live in, the uh, miry clay that you and I used to live in, his domain had one less occupant. Our construction work within Satan's nest was halted. There was one less slave bowing down to Satan and serving him. Christian author Robert Morgan put it this way, Both Pharaoh and Satan are unyielding enemies of ours. Both have been plundered by the Almighty, and both are enraged beyond endurance. Both have assembled vast armies for the destruction of God's people, yet neither seem to realize how utterly defeated they were and are. This was a major topic that uh, we spent considerable amount of time on when I did back in April, from April on, whenever I did my War Room series and then This Is War series. But we must once again realize that Satan is chasing after us and he will not stop until he wins us back. He attacks us in various forms, as you know, marital trouble, family Problems, blow-ups that occur at home between mom and dad and the kids, emotional distress, physical illnesses, work-related illnesses or issues, financial issues, you name it, and he can use it. Maybe you're here this morning and you know what it's like to hear Satan's chariot wheels rumbling, to choke on the dust of the army of horses and chariots coming. Perhaps you've heard the sound of steel on steel as his sword comes out of its sheath. Maybe you felt the breath of the horse's nostrils breathing down your neck. Listen, I have faced this, you have faced it, but he will try to find ways to discourage you. Realize that for a believer, a discouraged heart is a faithless heart, and a faithless heart is a powerless heart. And a powerless heart is a defeated heart. Let me read that again. For a believer, a discouraged heart is a faithless heart. And a faithless heart is a powerless heart. And a powerless heart is a defeated heart. A discouraged, faithless, powerless, and defeated heart is no match for Satan. And what area of life does this impact the most? Prayer. Prayer. This kind of heart destroys any effectiveness that we have in prayer. 
Do you see why Satan wants to discourage you now? The implications of a discouraged heart are far-reaching. He'll find ways to tempt you, persecute you, may defeat you by giving you a head-on collision with someone in the church that may have hypocritical ways. And then he creates doubt in your mind. He knows your weaknesses and he will find ways of exploiting them. He will try to get you into some seemingly impossible situations. And if you are in a tough situation right now, suffering pain or worry, anxiety or whatever it might be, Satan definitely desires to use that to defeat you. Why? To win you back, to defeat you, to take you back. Now, I've never been one, I may have said this before, but I've never been one to see a demon behind every cold, behind every flu. Folks, that's just life in this world. But without a doubt, he is greatly responsible for hindering God's work in this world. And he's responsible for hindering God's work in your life this morning. You see, Paul accused Satan when he encountered people that tried to hinder, hinder his ministry. Paul knew that Satan was behind troublemakers in the church. Satan is laughing as sin takes place within the walls of his church. And Satan is laughing at the state of our country right now. God help us. There is a mighty battle raging for the soul of our nation. If Satan, and this just, I thought about this, so listen to this. If Satan can keep our eyes off the real problem, which, are, which is our rejection of God as Lord and Savior, if he can keep our focus off that real problem, he's one. He's one. What's all the news? What's all the attention on? It's about the candidates and just how horrible their lives are, and we don't doubt that, but. Folks, God is wanting our country. I'm preaching to the choir. I get that. But God is wanting our country to look at all this and say it's not Hillary we need. It's not Donald Trump that we need. We need to come back to God. It's God that we need. We have rejected him far too long. And I believe the church has stayed quiet far too long. We have just waited. Jesus says, go ye therefore. We've reversed that for far too many years. People have come to us. Instead of us going to them, people have come to us. We've just sat on our Christian laurels and we've just let it happen. And God is saying, I'm giving you time and chance after chance has come back to me if my people who are called by my name. That's what God wants our country. But Satan, don't think about that. Don't think about how our country has fallen from the Christian influences. Just who can, who can take care of the pocketbook the best? Amen or ouch, right? Who's going to be able to take care of what I want in the future or just how my kids are going to have a better future? And we're ignoring the morality, the moral decay that has taken place in this world. And God is saying, listen to me. And Satan's laughing. Again, I know I'm talking to the choir here. Hmm. But we're the choir and we go out into the world. I better move on. 
Now, I've been kind of giving the evil one a lot of kudos. I've been giving him up. And I, this is not one of those, this, listen, this is not one of those profound messages to where you're like, you've never heard anything like this before. I, I know it's not. But look, when, when you're in your storm, you need things to hold on to. And sometimes you need to realize, whoa, the enemy's behind this. The enemy's the one that's defeating me. The enemy's the one that, and I have to take this. I have authority in the name of Jesus Christ. We don't have to take this. The Lord, let me go back here. For the Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords. Let me remind you this morning. He is the great God, the mighty and awesome God. Deuteronomy 10:17. Now let's uh, uh, swing the pendulum back around. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Folks, as we've talked about before, we are to submit to God. We are to put on the whole armor of God so that we may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. That's our defense. Yes, he is powerful, but greater is he that is in us, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. In your storm, focus on the promises of God. Psalm 91.4, he shall cover you with his feathers and under his wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and your buckler. Psalm 121, He will not allow your foot to be moved. The Lord is thy keeper. We are not without hope this morning, church. Yes, yes, yes. I hope I can say this, Jeannie and family. Um, Whenever I was visiting with Mercedes the other day, There was a glass wall that was separating us. But I said, Mercedes, just know that if you are where you need to be with Jesus Christ, when I leave, the Holy Spirit goes with me, but he stays with you on that other side. I said, you're not alone. I said, even though life is going to be different for a while for you, know that you can be just as free where you're at because Jesus is your Lord and Savior. And Jesus will walk with you. He will talk with you. He will help you along the way. That's the kind of God that we serve. But sometimes those of us that are in this free world, we're more bound and in prison than anyone else. And I've been there. I've been there. I know what it's like to feel the breath of the horse's nostrils on my neck as well. Man, I love my wife. I would die for my wife. I would die for my wife and my kids. But they can't give me what this can give me. They can't give me what my Lord and Savior can give me. There's only so much that they can do. There's only so much, I'm sorry to say this, but there's only so much that your church family can do. There comes a point to where it stops, and there comes a point to where your relationship with Jesus Christ will be the only thing that will pull you through. The only thing. Be sober. Be vigilant. 
I'm just all over the place today. I don't know. <laughs> know who your enemy is. Know who your enemy is. I once heard someone say, try Jesus. If you don't like him, Satan will always take you back. <laughs> I didn't say that. I just heard someone say that. Try Jesus. If you don't like him, Satan will always take you back. Now, while kind of humorous, I don't like that premise, though. Okay? Some of you are saying thank you for saying that, Pastor. You see, we don't just try Jesus like we try on a pair of pants. Or we just try on a jacket or a shirt to see if it fits. We either give Jesus all of who we are or we give him nothing at all. Jesus has given us the authority over the enemy by the power of the shirt of Jesus Christ. He doesn't even like it when I say that right now. Whenever I just say in the name of Jesus, he just fits. See, you know, we're messing with his nest. But our defense is God's word. Our, our, uh, I got some more hornets back at our house. We're going to have to get some more things today at Lowe's or whatever and spray them. They just keep coming back. But, you know, uh, the, the wasp and spray and hornet spray that we get, that is God's word. That is the authority of God's word. It's the shed blood of Jesus Christ that Satan has no defense against. We have the authority, we have the ability to resist the evil one and command him to flee, to take command of our thoughts by telling the evil one to get out of our heads and our thoughts. I love this verse. We talked about this last time in our last series, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4. Some of you know this, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. What does that mean? It's not carnal. Carnal comes within us. That means if we try to fight these battles, if you are trying to fight your storm, face your storm by yourself, you will never win it. You will just keep putting a band-aid on the situation and it never. God pulling down the strongholds, passing down all every high thing that itself knowledge of bring every thought, every thought, every to the existence of one of the main points I want to get across today comes from children's story that we've heard ever since that we were kids. It's about when Jesus was walking on the water. He sent his disciples out. You know the story. It says that he sent his disciples out on the boat to the sea. And it says he went back to pray by himself. I've said this before. I know there's no doubt in my mind. He knew he was sending them into a storm. He purposely sent them into a storm. They were in trouble and all of a sudden here comes Jesus walking on the water. And Peter said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you. We know what happened. Peter stepped out of the boat, but he, he started out fine doing the impossible, but we know what happened. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out saying, Lord, save me. Now what happened? Read that verse again. It says, when Peter saw, when Peter saw, See, that was the problem. When Peter saw the wind, he had taken his eyes off of Jesus. 
Peter was looking at the wind and the waves and not Jesus. You see, this story reveals the second half of our third lesson. Folks, when we're in a huge storm, a hurricane-sized storm, not only must you know who the enemy is, but you must keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. God has promised to lead you and guide you. Just keep your eyes on Him, Brock. Keep your eyes on Him, Jenna. Keep your eyes on Him, Larry Pope, as you're going through your deal. Keep your eyes on Him, Gail. Keep your eyes on Him, John and Dixie. Keep your eyes on Him. I love uh, uh, Exodus 13. This is what God has promised. Man, it's so easy to forget this. It's so easy to forget this. But realize what God did for the Israelites in Exodus chapter 13. It says, And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, so as to go by day and night. He did not take away the pillar of cloud by day or the pillar of fire by night from before the people. God protected them by going before them and following them. That was His promise to them. He will go before you. He will come after you. He will surround you. And the Pauline letters, the letters that Paul wrote, Paul used the word Jesus 219 times. He used the word Lord 272 times. He used the word Christ 389 times. But he used the word Satan just 10 times. And the devil 6 times. Why is this? Paul was telling us that if we are going to survive and the odds brought on the evil, we have better focus on Jesus. And now, hopefully, the part that some of you have been kind of waiting for. (laughs) Our story continues. We may end with her story next week or two. I'm not sure where we're at. Um, Give a quick review. Those of you who have not been with us the last couple weeks, Darlene, Deva Rose, her and her husband, they got married in 1937. Missionaries to New Guinea. Um, a year later, the Japanese, as a precursor to World War II, they invaded the area and they took Darlene and her husband captive. And then they separated the two. As her husband left, he looked at her and said, Remember, Jesus said he would never leave us nor forsake us, Darlene. Darlene suffered numerous physical illnesses, starvation, and then a year later she heard that her husband died of dysentery. And last week I told you of the incredible story between her and the camp commander, Camp uh, Commander Yamachi. Harsh man, difficult man, a psychotic man, but she was able to turn her circumstances around and share the gospel of Jesus Christ with Commander Yamachi. But today I'd like to expound just a little bit on a story that I think I told the first time um, that we talked about her life. On May 12, 1944, the Japanese secret police came and uh, took Darlene away, and they accused her of being an American spy. 
and they put her in solitary confinement. Over the door of her cell was written the words, This person must die. As the footsteps of the guards left her, she fell backward in the cold sweat, trembling, fighting off sheer terror. I believe we had said last week there she was in solitary confinement at the age of 26, a widow, sentenced to die. But it was at that time that she thought of a little song from Sunday school that went, Fear not, little flock, whatever your lot. He enters all rooms, though the doors are shut. He never forsakes. He never is gone. So count on his presence in darkness and dawn. Darlene felt the strong arms of Jesus wrap around her. She knew that the guards had locked her in that death cell, but they could not lock out Jesus Christ. She knew that she was in an impossible spot. In front of her was a Red Sea, and to the side was desert and mountains, and to the back, the rear was Pharaoh's army. But she knew that she served a God who could do impossible she was kept in that cell for six weeks. Frequently she was taken for interrogation where they accused her and tried to get her to confess. They would repeatedly hit her in the back and in her forehead. The account says that she never wept before the officers, but when she got back to her cell, she just collapsed and broke down. You ever been there? And she specifically told the story one time. She got back to the cell and she's weeping. She heard God whisper, Child, my grace is sufficient for you. Not was, not shall be, but my grace is for the moment. Several weeks later, they told her that she was to be beheaded. The next day came for her execution, and she heard the guards coming down the hallway. And as the guards took her down, out the hallway and out of the prison, into the execution stand, for some unknown reason, they stopped and they turned around, and they took her back to her cell. And reunited her with her cellmates. No rhyme or reason. Don't know why they did that. But God can make a way when there seems to be no way. He works in ways we cannot see. But I guarantee you, he will make a way for thee. He will be your guide, and he'll hold you closely to his side. With loving strength for each new day, he will make a way. God can make a way. We're almost done with her story. Evil trick, come back. Keep coming back. But darling, knew. Darlene knew who her enemy was. 
But the only way she made it through the storm was to never take your eyes off of Jesus. Mercedes, never take your eyes off of Jesus. Dick, Gary, come on up. We're just going to sing a simple chorus. Um, Folks, don't take your eyes off of Jesus. I don't know where you're at. That's between you and God. The elders are open this morning and um, know who the enemy is, but also never take your eyes off of Jesus. He will get you through. He is promised. Tie a knot at the end of that rope and just hold on to it. He is faithful. Would you bow your heads, please? Jesus, Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your presence. Lord, I know when we talk about storms, it's kind of heavy messages. And Lord, there are times I wish I could come and just give a light-hearted and just an easy and just make everybody kind of skip out of here. But Lord, this is the message for the hour. This is the message that I'm trying to preach. And uh, uh, Lord, this is where life is at sometimes. And Uh, Lord, maybe there's someone here that just needs to hear these words, that needs to be encouraged by some of these words. And um, uh, God, I thank you that we don't have to cower. We don't have to be defeated. We don't have to be discouraged. Lord, that there was one that is greater that is living within our hearts. And Lord, if there's someone here today that does not know you, God, today can be the day. Uh, We know that Satan is, again, madder than a hornet. And there might be someone here today that is still in his nest, that's still in his domain, and and, uh, they realize that they need Jesus, and Satan is after them. Don't don't do that. Don't leave the nest. Or he's after someone here that is in in the kingdom, that is a child of God, and he's after them to be discouraged. God, um, know who the enemy is, but just keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep our eyes on Jesus. Lord, help us to do that. May we be encouraged today that you know exactly where we are at. You knew exactly where Darlene was at in all of those times, but somehow, some way, you made a way because she didn't give up on you. Thank you, God. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you take your hymnals and turn to 393?